You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Ken Davenport here. Webinar alert. This Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm going to be teaching a webinar about the touring industry. Everything you've wanted to know about national tours but were afraid to ask, I'm going to talk about. This Wednesday, 7 o'clock, check out the blog for more. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week. One article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's KenDavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, Producer Perspective podcasters out there. I'm Ken Davenport. We have an esteemed guest with us today. Please welcome to the podcast multiple Tony Award-winning Broadway producer, Mr. Barry Weisler. Welcome, Barry. Yeah, yes, sir. My, my middle name is Esteemed. Did you know that? I did Barry? not know that. Yes, Barry Esteemed Weisler. Mr. Barry E. Weisler here. Barry, along with his wife, has produced so many shows that we can't list them here, so go to IBDB, his IBDB page, if you want to be there for a few hours. <laughs> but just a few falsettos, Scottsboro Boys, this season's hit, Waitress, along with the revivals of Lacage, Tony Award, Sweet Charity, Annie Get Your Gun, Grease, My Fair Lady Pippin, Tony Award, and get this, the second longest running Broadway show in history. Yes. Chicago. He also gave me my very first job as a production assistant on his revival of My Fair Lady in nineteen ninety. Do you remember that, Ken? I oh will my goodness. And it. that huge head which we couldn't get into a truck. And how to redo it? I remember so many. I remember you, actually. I remember looking, I want to do what this guy does someday, from your first day of rehearsal speech to the speech you gave at Fort Myers when you had to tell the audience that the stagehands were on strike and there might be a few bumps in the road. That is true. I forgot that. Uh, I've always been a fan. I'm very thankful that you're here. Why don't you start by... uh, Telling us how you got the theater bug. Where did this all begin for you? Well, um, you know, I was doing very, very poorly in college and indeed um, was flunking out of the only school in the United States that did not demand SAT exams to get in. The only school, Uppsala College in East Orange, New Jersey. And uh, I was in a deep depression. It was the end of my freshman year. I was not doing well. I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And it was just serendipitous that I fell upon the little uh, college community theater uh, we had set up in an old barn in the back of the parking lot. And I heard murmuring coming through there. It was a rehearsal of Measure for Measure, which I found out later. I certainly didn't know what it was at the time. I wandered in there not knowing where else to go. And I guess that's all she wrote. I felt like I was home. I watched rehearsal. I joined the company. I worked backstage, then became an actor in the company, uh, hit the library 724, and made the dean's list in the first half of my sophomore year. And my whole life changed. It just called me. And here I am. So you went on this intensive, like, theater study mm-hmm. curriculum? Well, literature, any my subjects. I was failing everything. I was lucky to uh, be, uh, to, to have something that opened me up and gave me a goal. 
So it wasn't just theater subjects, it was all political science, Russian history, English, literature, and of course, theater. And when did you start doing stuff on your own? What uh, made you make the jump from backstage on stage to the producing or the business side? Um, you know, it was still a big worry for me because it was a strange world. It wasn't a world I had ever thought of. Uh, it truly, truly came out of the blue. And uh, I was traveling the United States uh, trying to find myself, wound up in San Diego, uh, took a train uh, into Tijuana, saw my first bullfight, and decided that's what I wanted to be, a bullfighter. So I studied bullfighting in uh, Mexico. I, uh, by the way, I failed. This is amazing. I did, I did not, not know this it. about you. You were a bullfighter in yeah, training. Very bad one. It's yeah. good producer training, I would A imagine. cowardly bullfighter, you know? The bull didn't have to worry. I ran. That didn't last very long. That was six months. But it was fun. It was poetic. Um, uh, you know, I thought I'd go into bars at night after the matches, and all the women would throw flowers at me. Instead, they threw glasses. So I got the hell out of there. And uh, on the way over the Salt Lake, Great Salt Lake Desert, I decided to become a professional actor. Met with a marvelous, marvelous teacher. She changed my life. Her name was Stella Adler. Met with her in New York, joined her school, and studied acting for about two and a half years. And became an actor. And that led to directing. And eventually those two legs in the theater world gave me my, um, uh, my education uh, in theater to allow me to produce. And what was the first thing you produced? Uh, the first thing I produced was Aladdin and his magic lamp uh, for elementary schools. Children's theater. Children's theater. And the second thing was Everyman, the medieval allegory, uh, which was for Catholic high schools. And I directed those. I produced them. I directed them. And just luckily kept going. So from producing shows in elementary schools, you go jump to Broadway. What made... Oh, what? my God. We didn't jump. We dragged. It took years and years. You're talking about the 60s when we were doing children's theater, then high schools, then colleges, uh, one-person one shows. We had Julie Harris in the Bell of Amherst, James Earl Jones and Paul Robeson, uh, Leslie Nielsen and Clarence Darrow. Uh, we were still doing children's theater. We had a mime company. Um, oh, my goodness, Shakespeare for high schools. Um, ex, uh, expurgated uh, Neil Simons and Arthur Miller's. Um, it went on and on. What was the first Broadway show you produced? The first Broadway show I produced came out of the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Connecticut, and it was just fateful. Uh, Chris Plummer was up there doing Henry IV, Part One and Two. James Earl Jones owed me uh, a play. And I read that Chris was up there, called them and said, if I brought Jimmy, would you cancel one of the Henrys and let's do Othello together? James Earl Jones as Othello, Chris Plummer as Iago. Uh, took them five minutes to agree. They paid for the production. It was the biggest hit they had ever had, including when Katherine Hepburn uh, was in the company up there. It was their biggest hit. So Fran and I took it from Stratford. 
and toured the country. And it was doing a million dollars a week, which was uh, a miracle to us. We had never seen anything like that, Fran and I. We went from St. Aloysius Academy uh, to the Kennedy Center, and we're doing a million dollars a week on Shakespeare. Uh, gross. I don't mean we made a million, but the show was doing that. And we realized, why not? Sounds like a good show for Broadway. And that opened the door. And you mentioned your, your wife. Had, had she been working with you this whole time? The whole time. The whole time. Yep. And where did, where did she get the bug? Did you guys meet? Yeah, I, I think it was our relationship that got her there. You know, she did it for me. She wasn't doing it for herself. God bless her. How do you choose the shows you want to work on at this point in your career? And at the, from the beginning to now, how has that changed? What do you look for? You know, in, in the beginning, um, I, I think in the beginning it was uh, what was available to us and what was magically coming down uh, the, the pathway. Uh, for instance, Othello was uh, just a, a happenstance. Uh, Chris was there. I had Jimmy. We put it together. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant production. And uh, bringing it to Broadway started our training as Broadway producers. And that was the Winter Garden Theater. We were the last show in there before Cats. 1982, in February, in a snowstorm, we had lines around the block. So that started, and then just so happened, so Caldwell had helped doctor the show for us. And she was in uh, Kennedy Center doing Medea with Dame Judith Anderson. They wanted to bring it to Broadway. So in the same season as we were doing Othello, Bob Whitehead, famous producer, didn't want to produce the show he directed. We took Medea in the same season and brought it to the Court Theater right around the corner. And lo and behold, because we were touring anyway, we brought your arms uh, too short to box with God into the uh, theater that's now a church in the 50s. I forget, I forget the Hellinger, was it? Uh, we had three shows running in the same season. It was crazy. And two of them were up for Tonys. And one of them got a Tony. And the other one got a Tony for Best Actress. So that was the so it was a happenstance. It was just the flow of things. Then we started picking and choosing. My one and only, Tommy Toon, Twiggy, then Sandy Duncan, huge success. Uh, Zalba with Anthony Quinn. Um, we reached out to Anthony. We had him. We knew that show belonged to him, especially since he did the film. So it was a choice we made. Cabaret with Joel Gray, directed by Hal Prince. They just seemed right at the time. Now we choose what we have our hearts and minds involved in, like waitress, and then we put a good creative team together and surround it. What you call happenstance, I think, actually, is you're, you're not giving yourself enough credit. Of course, it's amazing. I think great business people recognize incredible opportunities which you did, and one of the most incredible opportunities, of course, that you recognized was this concert version of 
this musical that did okay when it first came around called Chicago. Mm -hmm. Tell everybody about, because I've heard you tell the story before, but how that happened. You know, it was at Encores, and uh, we went to see it on a Saturday afternoon, and it, it was it just, it was thrilling. It thrilled us. It thrilled the audience. It was absolutely brilliant, marvelous theater. And uh, it would have been a dream if we could move it, but obviously others would want it. It was so good. Turns out nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to put money up. Not one theater owner in New York wanted to give us a theater. Uh, we had four theaters to get the, the piece going at the beginning. Uh, the Martin Beck, Rocco Landis from West Al Partner. He had a chance to bring Whistle Down the Wind in. He told us he was a 50% partner. He still rues the day he did this. He said, hey, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber against some old, uh, you know, revival, Barry. And uh, he tore up the lease, and I tore up the partnership. So it was now France and mine. We got the Richard Rogers, but they had a Steel Pier coming in. So we only could get eight to 12 weeks there. Another Kendrick Ebb show, ironically. Uh, yeah. And uh, the Schubert was sort of, yeah, no, yeah, no. And they had Big at the time. And they said, if it closes, you can have it. God help us if it wasn't available. And of course, the rest is history. We put most of the money up because the financiers felt nobody would pay $75 a seat for a concert. Uh, The theater owners used this as fill-in, and uh, it's 20 years later. Incredible. Since you started producing since the days of Medea, what do you think the biggest changes you've seen for Broadway producers or producing on Broadway? Um... The biggest, the nothing's changed in theater. Theater is still a live experience, you know, where uh, one thousand people come into a venue, and if you're lucky, they come in as uh, individuals, and they become one person because the show affects everyone in a certain way. Um, what what really has become difficult is the cost of theater. That's that's the thing that is very hard to uh, uh, surmount these days. Uh, you you have to be able to sell tickets in the hundreds of thousands, and it wasn't like that in the old days. In the old days, uh, a middling hit could survive. These days, there's no way. You're either a hit, and you're selling eighty to a hundred percent of your capacity, or you can't make it. That's the biggest thing that's changed, and it's it's sad. So they, you know, the old statistic is one out of five shows recoup. A quick look at the list of shows that you've produced, and I would say you're beating that average. What's your secret to keeping costs down, to selling more tickets, anything? Well, we're experienced. Uh, uh, our instincts are right, uh, but they're honed by years of experience. Uh, we have a great staff. Uh, we try to do things frugally and yet with quality. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how else to... I guess we're the last of a breed. Uh, there's a new breed coming in. Uh, there's still some very, very good producers out there. 
like uh, Jeffrey Sellers, uh, you know, has a mammoth hit in Hamilton, and David Stone has Wicked, and he's doing a new show in Chicago. They all came out of this office. So that's right. I remember David Stone had that right. office down the down the corridor here. That is right. And Jeffrey sat behind you. Well, what's the new breed? You mentioned the new breed of producers. Who are those? Uh, a lot of, lot of new breed of producers, unfortunately, think they know how to produce, but they're more uh, capital-inspired than they are creatively inspired. You can't come into the theater to make money. You really can't. You have to come into the theater to do good work. And if you do good work, they will reward you. Uh, some people think they can run it like uh, a machine company uh, or an automobile company. It's not like that. What do you think about the movie studios coming into town? Well, they have product, and uh, why not? They at least know how to produce something. They hire people to do it, and that's perfectly fine. You've done a bunch of new shows, including Waitress, uh, but you've, also, you've had incredible success with revivals. Uh, what draws you to a revival? What, what do you think makes a successful revival? If I was looking to produce a revival mm -hmm. tomorrow, what would you say, these are the things you should look for, Ken? Well, you, Ken, you did it, didn't you, with Spring Awakening. It was a, gl a glorious moment uh, on stage, and you took uh, what was a successful Broadway show, and you transformed it because of your acting company. But you found a way to reshape the piece, and it was quite good. Um, we try to do revivals that have, e first of all, they have to be quality, quality scores, quality stories, and then the ability to reform them, to transform them into something that says um, uh, something meaningful for 2015 or 2016 that wasn't being said uh, in 1990. And if it has the ability to do that, then we will do the revivals. If it's a matter of just restating something, that doesn't interest Fran and me. What do you think makes Chicago the success that it is? Is there one thing that... It's perfect theater, isn't it? It's perfect theater. It's about the characters, the story, the lyrics, the music, and there's no nonsense, it's in your face, it's down in one. Uh, we live or die by the quality of the storytelling and the actors and actresses on stage. And so far we've been living. Is that one of the reasons why you've been able to put so many different stars in it, regardless yeah. of... Yeah, they, it's, 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 uh, it has its own motor. It's one of those few shows that uh, a different personality in the same role uh, can still achieve success. And they can do it if they're Japanese, if they're Korean, if they're Russian. And we've had them all, by the way, on stage. Um, people that can speak English from these foreign countries have done just as well as the Americans. I've seen so many people go in, and I always say, how did Barry get these people to do How did Usher agree to do this? What, what is the process? What is your strategy with casting? And, and what, is, what is your secret for I can't I get some of these agents to call me back, never mind. I don't know. We just try. We try. And we make um, um, a good um, reason for them to do it. 
and we've been fortunate. We just just work hard. So this is a question from one of my listeners, actually, who said, is there someone that you've been dreaming about for Chicago for any of the roles that you have not been able to get yet? Oh, my God. How about Beyonce? Get her to do Roxy, you know? Uh, Taylor Swift, huh? Get her to do Roxy, and Beyonce can do Velma. Lady Gaga can do Velma. How about George Clooney playing Billy Flynn? Now that I would huh? pay... Uh, James Corden doing Amos. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It's another movie right there. You're going to do a remake of the movie. <laughs> so you once talked to me about joining one of your teams as a co-producer. And I remember before I could even get out of my mouth that I was a little afraid that it was too risky, you actually interrupted me and said, Ken, this is a real risky one. And I remember being you just disarmed me, and I was so taken by the fact that you were so upfront about the risks. Talk to me a little bit about how you raise money for shows you, from way back when, when you just started, and you may never have had yeah, the number. Ken, just the way we get personnel to be on stage, you know, it's hard work. Uh, you put your budgets together. You may you try to make it sensible. You try to show how many weeks it will take to recoup, and sixty-six percent of capacity, and seventy-five and eighty. Nothing different than you you would do, uh, and and you try to make a good monetary case for it. Uh, if there's no monetary case for it, it better have uh, an aesthetic case. It better be something that you feel should be seen. We did that when we did falsettos. We did that when we did Scottsboro Boys. And we really believed in Susical. Remember Susical, the musical? We felt that young children would gain so much from that show. Well, the show failed, but guess what? It is the most licensed production in amateur theater maybe in history and the money keeps flowing in it's been coming in for years and years and years we're literally repaying the capital what do you do when a show doesn't work on broadway how personally does it wound you when something doesn't in, in the old days it made me sick and uh, you learn to steal yourself and you have you have that bump in the road, that the bad moment, uh, and you get over it because you don't have a choice. Do you think the industry is better off today than it was 20 years ago? No. No. I think the work is good. The quality of work has never changed. Um, I think you had more... You could take more risks years ago. You could do Death of a Salesman. You could do, well, Long Day's Journey and Tonight was done then and it was done now. So that hasn't changed. The, the quality of work uh, remains the same. The cost of work is, is what is uh, stultifying uh, and, and uh, fear-driven. How the heck do you make a simple play work when you have to raise $5 million to do a play, uh, when your costs are so high for a play? And forget about a musical. I mean, can you imagine ever in your life that musicals would cost three-quarters of a million dollars to run a week? A week? My God, that, that's what we would look for for the month. Who would ever think that would be the cost for a weekly run, even if you get it down? Musicals are in the sixes. Isn't that a tremendous amount of money? People can buy homes. You could make a business 
out of 600,000. Do you remember what the operating expenses were for falsettos? Oh my goodness. Uh, no, but it was very low. Do you th is this just going to get worse or do, or is there a way to make this better? Is this number just going to keep getting up there and up there? Yeah, and and, and unfortunately, yes, that is true. It's going to keep growing. And unfortunately, there's going to be very little room uh, for the uh, medium successful shows and the ones that are going to profit are the theater owners because they'll move us in and they'll move us out and they'll always have something on stage but when you see what tickets for Hamilton are going for how do you how do you compete with that how do you compete with people that are willing to pay twenty five hundred dollars fifteen hundred dollars for a seat they won't buy another show if they get those tickets why should they? That'll be their year's allotment. So those, those are the difficult things we're facing. You mentioned that the theater owners will always have a show on the stage. That, of course, wasn't always the case. There no. was a time where there was a dark period here on Broadway. Do you think we'll ever see one of those again? Uh, in our lifetime, yours and mine? I don't think so, unless certain economic tragedies and downturns take place. That's possible. But then theater should do well. People should want to go to the theater. If you were starting your career over again today, is there anything that you would do differently on your way up? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. I love that question because everybody I talk to is so confident that they wouldn't do anything different. That they, they just do what they do, and that's the way it is, and they learn along the way. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm satisfied. I'm still restless, but I'm satisfied with what Fran and I have done today. What do you still want to do if you're restless? What's what's next? No, you know, things that uh, speak to us. Uh, I, I don't want to throw uh, the stuff that we're working on out until I know it's solid and, you know, on uh, um, a positive path. So a, a young kid comes to you just like uh, I did when I started at uh, My Fair Lady and says, I want to be a producer. What would you tell them, a kid today starting out? How would, how would they get started producing? If that's what's in your heart and your mind, you just do it. You persevere and you work with tenacity. You take the failures. You deal with them. Uh, you let it hurt for a moment and you move on. You just keep going. Okay, my last question, which is my genie question. Yes. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you and knocks on your office door and says, Barry, I want to thank you for your incredible contributions to the theater by granting you one wish. What is the one thing that drives you the craziest about Broadway that gets you so angry, that could get you pounding on the desk, keeping you up at night, that gets you so mad that you'd want this genie to wish away with a snap of his fingers? Oh, I can't answer that, Ken. That's too difficult. Um, you know, that ta that takes an awful lot of thought, and I don't think it would be just one thing. Uh, I, I thought when Fran and I were coming up and we worked in the 60s and the 70s, uh, we, you know, we struggled, and we, we sometimes suffered from failures, but uh, it, it was a fulfilling time uh, because it was about the creative process. It was about the product. Uh, now we have to worry about the product and the costs. So that makes it a little 
uh, more difficult. A painter can be in a studio and have his paints and his brushes, and he can paint a canvas, and it's his. And it is the same cost all the time, and that person becomes famous or doesn't. We don't have uh, that pleasure. We don't. If we're going to paint the canvas, outside forces, influences, dictate how we go about doing business. That's sad. That's something I wish uh, we could return to the old days. It's a great answer. I want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all the work you do. Everyone out there, go see Waitress. And if you haven't seen Chicago yet, what is taking so long? Uh, go see that as well. Thank you so much for being with us, Barry. Thank you all you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time. Don't forget a webinar this Wednesday all about touring, how to get your show on the road, how it works, you name it. We're going to talk about it this Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Check out theproducersperspective.com for more info. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.